Today is February 4th. This is Verses in Flow. I'm Jennifer, and I'm in a space of overflowing gratitude today. If I were to name this segment, I would call it Authenticity and Answered Prayers. If you've been here for a minute, or if you know me personally, then you know that I am a writer. Of all the things I am, the roles that I play, this is probably the one that feels most formational and foundational, most intuitive and instinctual. In other words, if all the functions I perform that inform my identity were stripped away and I had to start from scratch, I think writing would remain. It's innate. It's a spiritual practice for me. Why am I telling you all this? Because when I'm not writing, I feel very disconnected and disjointed. And I remember praying this prayer for the last four years or so, maybe even longer than that, asking God to help me produce consistently to give me the courage and the confidence to write, to create, to make something out of my being. I was so consumed with domestic life and work life that I didn't know how to carve out time and space for the things that were really calling me. I was producing for others, so I was getting by, but we were not created to simply get by. We were created to create. And when you're aware of that, when you're not doing it, There's a quiet agony that never subsides until you start creating. We have the capacity to dream, imagine, and envision that which does not yet exist in open-ended ways. It is this capacity that scientifically separates us from lower species, i.e. animals, And we have the ability to express ourselves in ways that feel authentic and aligned with a very specific divinely inspired purpose. Authentic, having an origin supported by unquestionable evidence, authenticated, verified, authentic, entitled to acceptance or belief because of agreement with known facts or experience, authentic, original, not false or copied, genuine, real. We hear a lot of talk about being authentic, and for good reason. Being authentic is the only thing that will bring us true peace, joy, and fulfillment. When we're not being authentic, we're out of sync in sorts and feel disconnected and disjointed. But do we really know how to be authentic? It's not just being true to ourselves because our present reality is often a reflection of our belief in a previous lie we were told or we told ourselves. How then can we be authentic? We have to seek out the source of it. Our authenticity is determined by the author of life. He is the unquestionable evidence from which we originate. He is the original, the real one, the author and perfecter of our faith, and he has authorized our entitlement to acceptance and self-belief, but we have to agree with the known facts and experience that is scripted in his word, which authenticates our right to be all that we want to be, all the things that he says we can be. 
I say all that to say this podcast is one of the hardest things I have ever done in more ways than one, but it is also the most rewarding. Writing is a part of my purpose. It is not my passion, and there is a difference. Our purpose is what God has put in us to serve, support, and sustain others. Our passion is what we do to serve, support, and sustain ourselves. With purpose, the focus is outward. With passion, it's inward. One is selfless, the other is selfish. The effect of the latter is great joy. The effect of the former is the greatest joy because inherent to purpose is the realization that God himself is using us to serve others. When the two meet, it's a beautiful thing. That prayer that I was telling you about that I've been praying for the last four years or so has finally been answered with this podcast. I am producing every day. And let me tell y'all how good God is. You, dear listener and fellow adventurer, are both the resolution to and the recipients of my prayers. How is that for reciprocity? As the resolution, your presence here gives me a purpose for producing. As the recipient, your presence here allows you to benefit from what I produce. That feels like something of a miracle, and I am so thankful for it. Now, <laughs> let's flow into this word as this word flows into us. Exodus chapter 19, verse 16 through chapter 21, verse 21. God's word translation. On the morning of the second day, there was a thunder and lightning with a heavy cloud over the mountain, and a very loud blast from a ram's horn was heard. All the people in the camp shook with fear. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. All of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had come down on it in fire. Smoke rose from the mountain like the smoke from a kiln, and the whole mountain shook violently. As the sound of the horn grew louder and louder, Moses was speaking, and the voice of God answered him. The Lord came down on top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up. The Lord said to him, Go down and warn the people not to force their way through the boundary to see the Lord, or many of them will die. Even the priests who are allowed to come near the Lord must set themselves apart as holy, or the Lord will violently kill them. Moses said to the Lord, The people can't come up Mount Sinai, because you warned us yourself to mark off a boundary around the mountain and consider it holy. The Lord said to him, Go down and bring Aaron back with you. But the priests and the people must not force their way through the boundary to come up to the Lord, or he will violently kill them. So Moses went down to the people and told them the Ten Commandments. Then God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of slavery in Egypt. Never have any other God. 
Never make your own carved idols or statues that represent any creature in the sky or on the earth or in the water. Never worship them or serve them because I, the Lord your God, am a God who does not tolerate rivals. I will punish children for their parents' sins to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But I show mercy to thousands of generations of those who love me and obey my commandments. Never use the name of the Lord your God carelessly. The Lord will make sure that anyone who carelessly uses his name will be punished. Remember the day of rest by observing it as a holy day. You have six days to do all your work. The seventh day is the day of rest a holy day dedicated to the Lord your God. You, your sons, your daughters, your male and female slaves, your cattle, and the foreigners living in your city must never do any work on that day. In six days, the Lord made heaven, earth, and the sea, along with everything in them. He didn't work on the seventh day. That's why the Lord blessed the day he stopped his work and set this day apart as holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live for a long time in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Never murder, never commit adultery, never steal. Never lie when you testify about your neighbor. Never desire to take your neighbor's household away from him. Never desire to take your neighbor's wife, his male or female slave, his ox, his donkey, or anything else that belongs to him. The people's reaction. All the people heard the thunder and saw the lightning. They heard the blast of the ram's horn and saw the mountain covered with smoke. So they shook with fear and stood at a distance. Then they said to Moses, You speak to us and we'll listen, but don't let God speak to us or we'll die. Moses answered the people, Don't be afraid. God has come only to test you so that you will be in awe of him and won't sin. The people kept their distance while Moses went closer to the dark cloud where God was. General Rules for Worship The Lord said to Moses, This is what you must say to the Israelites. You've seen for yourselves that I have spoken to you from heaven. Never make any gods of silver or gold for yourselves. Never worship them. You must build an altar for me made out of dirt. Sacrifice your burnt offerings and your fellowship offerings, your sheep, goats, and cattle on it. Wherever I choose to have my name remembered, I will come to you and bless you. If you build an altar for me made out of stones, never make it with cut stone blocks. If you use a chisel on it, you will make it unacceptable to me. Never use stairs to go up to my altar. Otherwise, people will be able to see under your clothes." Laws Concerning the Treatment of Slaves The Lord continued, Here are the legal decisions to be used by the Israelites. Whenever you buy a Hebrew slave, he will be your slave for six years. In the seventh year, 
he may leave as a free man without paying for his freedom. If he comes to you by himself, he must leave by himself. If he comes as a married man, his wife may leave with him. If his master gives him a wife and she gives birth to sons or daughters, the wife and her children belong to the master, and the slave must leave by himself. But if he makes this statement, I hereby declare my love for my master, my wife, and my children, I don't want to leave as a free man, then his master must bring him to God. The master must bring him to the door or the door frame and pierce his ear with an awl. Then he will be his slave for life. When a man sells his daughter into slavery, she will not go free the way male slaves do. If she doesn't please the master who has chosen her as a wife, he must let her be bought back by one of her close relatives. He has no right to sell her to foreigners since he has treated her unfairly. But if he has chosen her for his son, he must treat her like a daughter. If that son marries another woman, he must not deprive the first wife of food, clothes, or sex. If he doesn't give her these three things, she can go free without paying any money for her freedom. Laws Concerning Injury to People Whoever strikes someone and kills him must be put to death. If it wasn't done intentionally, but God let it happen, the killer should flee to a place I will set aside for you. But whenever someone becomes so angry that he plans to kill his neighbor, you must take him away from my altar and put him to death. Whoever hits his father or mother must be put to death. Whoever kidnaps another person must be put to death, whether he has sold the kidnapped person or still has him. Whoever curses his father or mother must be put to death. This is what you must do whenever men quarrel and one hits the other with a rock or with his fist and injures him so that he has to stay in bed. If the injured man can get up again and walk around outside with a cane, the one who hit him must not be punished. He must pay the injured man for the loss of his time and for all his medical expenses. Whenever an owner hits his male or female slave with a stick so that the slave dies from the beating, the owner must be punished. But if the slave gets up in a day or two, the owner must not be punished. The slave is his property. Matthew chapter 23 verses 13 through 39. The hypocrisy of the Jewish leaders. How horrible it will be for you, experts in Moses' teachings and Pharisees. You hypocrites. You lock people out of the kingdom of heaven. You don't enter it yourselves, and you don't permit others to enter when they try. How horrible it will be for you, experts in Moses' teachings and Pharisees. You hypocrites, you cross land and sea to recruit a single follower, and when you do, you make that person twice as fit for hell as you are. How horrible it will be for you, you blind guides. You say, 
To swear an oath by the temple doesn't mean a thing, but to swear an oath by the gold in the temple means a person must keep his oath. You blind fools, what is more important, the gold or the temple that made the gold holy? Again, you say, to swear an oath by the altar doesn't mean a thing, but to swear an oath by the gift on the altar means a person must keep his oath. You blind men, what is more important, the gift or the altar that makes the gift holy? To swear an oath by the altar is to swear by it and by everything on it. To swear an oath by the temple is to swear by it and by the one who lives there. And to swear an oath by heaven is to swear by God's throne and the one who sits on it. How horrible it will be for you, experts in Moses' teachings and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give God one-tenth of your mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These are the most important things in Moses' teachings. You should have done these things without neglecting the others. You blind guides, you strain gnats out of your wine, but you swallow camels. How horrible it will be for you, experts in Moses' teachings and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of cups and dishes, but inside they are full of greed and uncontrolled desires. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cups and dishes so that the outside may also be clean. How horrible it will be for you, experts in Moses' teachings and Pharisees. You hypocrites, you are like whitewashed graves that look beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of dead people's bones and every kind of impurity. So on the outside, you look as though you have God's approval, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. How horrible it will be for you, experts in Moses' teachings and Pharisees. You hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the monuments of those who had God's approval. Then you say, if we had lived at the time of our ancestors, we would not have helped to murder the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead. Finish what your ancestors started. You snakes, you poisonous snakes. How can you escape being condemned to hell? I'm sending you prophets, wise men, and teachers of the scriptures. You will kill and crucify some of them. Others you will whip in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. As a result, you will be held accountable for all the innocent blood of those murdered on earth. This includes the murder of Abel, who had God's approval, to that of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. I can guarantee this truth. The people living now will be held accountable for all these things. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you kill the prophets and stone to death those sent to you. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. Your house will be abandoned, deserted. I can guarantee that you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. 
Psalm 28 by David O Lord, I call to you. O my rock, do not turn a deaf ear to me. If you remain silent, I will be like those who go into the pit. Hear my prayer for mercy when I call to you for help. When I lift my hands toward your most holy place, do not drag me away with wicked people, with troublemakers who speak of peace with their neighbors but have evil in their hearts. Pay them back for what they have done, for their evil deeds. Pay them back for what their hands have done, and give them what they deserve. The Lord will tear them down and never build them up again, because they never consider what He has done or what His hands have made. Thank the Lord. He has heard my prayer for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted him, so I received help. My heart is triumphant. I give thanks to him with my song. The Lord is the strength of his people and a fortress for the victory of his Messiah. Save your people and bless those who belong to you. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Proverbs 7 verses 1 through 5. My son, pay attention to my words. Treasure my commands that are within you. Obey my commands so that you may live. Follow my teachings just as you protect the pupil of your eye. Tie them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. Give the name my relative to understanding. In order to guard yourself from an adulterous woman, from a loose woman with her smooth talk. So y'all already know, there is so much I want to talk about today. I want to talk about what the Bible says about slavery, what happened yesterday with the Amalekites and what that was all about. Plus, Joshua just popped on the scene. We got to talk about him. And today, Jesus went off, like all the way off. But we'll have to pace ourselves and we still have 11 months, so we have time to get there. I'm going to pull over and park at Mount Sinai, the base of the mountain where the Israelites spend two years and we'll spend the next 58 chapters in the Old Testament. Here we find one of the most famous passages in the Bible, the Ten Commandments, in Hebrew, the Ten Words, or the Decalogue. And we should note that we are entering a different dispensation here. A dispensation, by definition, is the way God deals with people during any period in human history. I've been hearing that word all my life and never knew what the actual definition was. The Greek word for dispensation is oikonomia, which means administration, Oikonomia is where we get our English word economy. When we say dispensation, we are referring to the way God administers his affairs with mankind. And in this era, the one we've just entered, the Ten Commandments represent God's laws and expectations on how people should live. At Mount Sinai, the Israelites accept the covenant with God and agree to keep his laws as outlined in the Ten Commandments. 
They probably did it a little too fast and too eagerly based on what will happen soon after, but again, we'll get to that. This is, however, an important moment in history because it marks a new relationship between God and man, one that is conditional, based on moral obligations and mutual respect. This is the Mosaic Covenant. In this way, the Ten Commandments also becomes a cornerstone of monotheism, the belief in one God, and we'll see why this is important in a minute. The first thing I want to point out is the parallel between what we read yesterday and what we read today. So remember when we talked about the two commandments Jesus mentioned being the greatest because they were the foundation for all the others? Well, now we can see in the text in the Old Testament exactly why this is true. The first four commandments, you shall have no other gods before me, you shall not make for yourself an idol, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, and remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, are all tied to the commandment found in Deuteronomy 6.5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. All of these commandments denote honor and respect for God. The first three of those four revolve around honoring God and keeping his name holy, but the fourth is an explicit command to rest and set aside time to be with God. The remaining six commandments, honor your mother and father, you should not murder, you should not commit adultery, you should not steal, you should not give false testimony against your neighbor, you should not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor— these all tie into respect and honor for others, which is the underlying principle and the commandment Jesus quoted to the Pharisees, which is found in Leviticus 19.18, to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if we examine a little further, we can see each of these commandments are still profitable for us today. But let's add some context first. So the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, was very necessary for the Israelites. They had just left Egypt, a polytheistic society with over 2,000 deities in their pantheon. They had gods of the moon and magic and medicine and music and rain and fertility and secrets and silence. Could you imagine trying to remember who you had to pray to for what? I have a hard enough time trying to remember all the things and people I need to pray for, and we only have one God. I could not imagine having to identify the idols associated with every single thing that I needed. But the Israelites were used to it. They were used to many gods. So for them, adding one more to the list would have been just fine. God needed to therefore establish right away, no ma'am, no sir, there will be no more of that I am not one of many, I am the one, the only. And if they didn't grasp this, the other nine commandments would not have mattered. The same is true for us, except today, our gods don't look like anthropomorphous statues. They look like power, possessions, and pleasure. And if we don't take the time to put God first, these other things can take up our time and take precedence over pleasing him. Now, the second commandment about not making idols, this may be a little tough to hear, but please don't come for the messenger. An idol is anything we attach supernatural power to. 
Once we assign an inanimate object some kind of mystical or magical power, or an animate one for that matter, that we put our faith in to alter our environment or manipulate spiritual forces or bring us good luck, then we've just made an idol. To be clear, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with wearing a crystal bracelet or burning sage in your home if you think that bracelet is cute or you want to kill bacteria in the air. But when you start saying crystals have the power to heal your body and this incense can cleanse your home of demonic influences... Y'all, that right there is idolatry, and that was very much addressed in the second commandment. Moving on, the third, about not using God's name in vain, simply put, put some respect on his name. Don't curse using his name, don't use it to justify something, don't be swearing on it, don't abuse it, or use it to abuse others. Number four, a little context is helpful here once again. We talked about it in the Old Testament already, but in the New Testament, in Jesus's time, people would take the Sabbath day to the extreme. They would refuse to do anything, even help somebody who they saw was in need. The point of remembering the Sabbath was to rest from all your labor and worship God, not to be a legalistic stickler who refused to lend a helping hand. The idea of Sabbath is still relevant to us, but according to Romans 14.5 and the A clause of verse 6, the particular day of the week isn't relevant. The Bible says one person considers one day more sacred than another, another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. The fifth commandment is almost self-explanatory. We are told to respect our parents. Now, we have parents whom are unsafe for one reason or another. We are still called to respect them, even if it is from a distance. If a parent is making bad decisions, we can still love and respect them while disagreeing with their choices. And also, respect doesn't always equate to relationship. I can respect you from my house while you're at yours. Plus, another reason why we should respect our parents, Paul said in Ephesians 6, 2, and 3, that this is the first commandment with a promise, a blessing from God, so that you may have a long life in the land. The sixth commandment, do not murder, is not as cut and dry as it might appear, because all killing isn't murder. If we think of murder as the unauthorized killing of any individual, if you attack me and try to kill me for no reason, if I get you first, mine is not murder. Self-defense is not murder. This command is about respect for life because we are all created in the image of God. But now what I'm about to say next might make us all rethink some situations from our past. And Matthew 5, 21 and 22, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. In other words, Jesus is saying, Murderous thoughts, harboring anger without sufficient reason, 
he is expanding to include those kinds of sins here as well. The seventh commandment is about loyalty to the one you're with. Don't want to be a player no more. No side chicks, no work husbands, no cheating, period. Also, see Proverbs for the kind of wrath you might expect if you're even thinking about crossing this line. The eighth, don't take what doesn't belong to you. See number seven above. That too is related here. The ninth, no false testimonies. We should keep it 100, real talk, being people of our words and speaking the truth. We should not slander nor participate in the slander of anybody's name. Let's not be out here ruining people's lives on a lie. The 10th, you shall not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. In other words, don't be like I was with my friend with the new house in the island before my husband told me I was inspired and not envious and reframed my thinking. Be content with what you have and appreciate it instead of wishing for what you don't. And why, why would I even want what my neighbor has? And do I know what my neighbor had to go through to get it? Do I even want what he had to go through to get it? Do I want her sacrifice, heartache, and struggle? No, ma'am. No, sir. Coveting? It does nothing but fill us with discontentment and comparative thinking, which disconnects us from the heart of gratitude that brings us life, peace, and serenity, all the things we want. The grass is always greener on the other side, but it is just as hard to mow. So, Thank you for coming to my TED Talk on the Ten Commandments. Obey them and you'll be all right. Remember, Jesus came to fulfill the law and bring grace and mercy. So don't take these commandments as heavy burdens. There's grace available. Not so you can sin and so that grace can abound. Don't set the house on fire because you have a fire extinguisher. But if you do mess up, just know that grace is there for you. Also remember, God loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. So take some time out of your day today to get closer to Him. And now, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, our hearts are so full and they cry out to you for the teaching and truth of your word. We long for the teaching and the truth of who you are Thank you for your mercy when we are weak and we don't get it right. We are grateful that you still love us in spite of our shortcomings. As we learn to accept our inadequacies, we are hopeful and emboldened by a newfound strength and the courage to follow your will and be more like you. We lay down all that we are and all that we have at your feet, our time, our talents, and our resources to be used for your glory. We avail all of ourselves to you, and we will strive to put you first in every area of our lives. We love you, Lord. We thank you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And our affirmation. My identity is firmly rooted in Jesus. Therefore, who I am does not depend on the opinions or approval of anyone else. My identity is firmly rooted in Jesus. Therefore, who I am does not depend on the opinions or approval of anyone else. Before I share this aphorism, I'd like to provide a perspective. 
When I am faced with uncertainty or emotions that are so strong, I know that I'm in danger of making a decision I'll later wish I hadn't. I often ask myself, what do I want the story to be here? If I was years into the future or even no longer here and there was a written record of the situation, how would I want it to be portrayed? Does the thought of someone reading it make me feel cringy or embarrassed? Or am I proud and excited at the thought of what they might say? Using this question as a guiding principle gives me pause and helps me to react with more intention than I otherwise would have. And our aphorism is, an imaginative man is apt to see in his life the story of his life and is thereby led to conduct himself in life in such a manner as to make a good story of it rather than a good life. An imaginative man is apt to see in his life the story of his life and is thereby led to conduct himself in life in such a manner as to make a good story of it rather than a good life. That's all I have for you today. Thank you so much for taking this adventure with me. Thank you for all of your sweet sentiments, your posts, your comments, your support, and your love. This is my labor of love and my life's task. If you ever want to sow a seed or partner with me, I am profoundly grateful that you would even consider. You can do that at my website at versesandflow.com. For those of you who already do or you already have, I am not sure you will ever know how much it means to me. I am humbly and wholly thankful. You belong here and we belong together on this journey. I'll be right here tomorrow waiting for you.